Well, we're going to dig back into the end of chapter 13, the beginning of chapter 14 today. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to just kind of unpacking some of this because there's some good stuff in it. Let's just, let's just join together in a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Lord, as we uh, come together, I just want to ask that you be with us again. Remind us of the uh, significance of this word from you. It's not just supposed to stay in a book or be words that we, you know, kind of flip through. This is meant for your church today, as much as it was for the church um, when Paul first spoke these words. I think in some ways, uh, even more now. Lord, uh, help us hear these words. Uh, Take them to heart. Ask ourselves questions. What does this mean for me? What does it mean for my family? And Lord, uh, maybe walk away just a little bit a little bit uh, stronger and a little bit more committed to what you call us to. Lord, we're just going to pray that in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. Um, I'm going to pick us up at verse 11 again just to kind of recontextualize what Paul's been doing. He's been talking about what does it mean to prepare the church to prepare the church to carry out its mission, to prepare the church to carry out its mission. I always remind myself Paul was not a pastor. Um, in some ways, I always look at my own life and I think, well, we use this term pastor, um, right, John? But what, is, what actually is a pastor? I'm not, sure that I, I'm not sure that I qualify. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't qualify. Um, because what does a pastor do? The pastor is kind of the, shep, the shepherd of, of, a, of a sheep, takes care of the sheep, the broken sheep. Well, that's part of what, that's part of what the calling to be a pastor is. But there are other offices that get described in the, in the church that are equally as important. Paul was not a pastor. He was what? A, a missionary, right? He, he's the person that God's called to go out in an apostolic way and, and start churches, plant churches across Asia Minor. And wherever he plants churches, he's very much committed to this idea that uh, this body I want to make sure that it stays on target, that, it, that it's actually carrying out the mission that God has uh, set in place for the church. So his words get pretty pointed. You know, I mean, Paul never is fooling around in his epistles. He's really cutting to the chase. This is what it means to be, uh, to be the church. It doesn't mean we're a, we're a kind of a club that gets together. It means we're a body of people using our gifts towards the end of reaching those who do not know Jesus Christ. Uh, for for eternity. You kind of pick that up again in verse 11. I'll come, c- kind of come back to it. It says, besides this, you know the time and the hour has come for you to wake from the sleep. Do you know, he's kind of saying, that do you know what time it is? Do you got, are you aware of the time? Um, time is ticking away. And I don't want to be found kind of play, playing a game, we're, we're called during this hour of time that belongs to God to really be highly engaged in the mission that, he's, that he has given, given to us. Uh, I love the, the phrase that he used here, the time has come for us to wake from the sleep. And the term for sleep I shared with you last week is the Greek word hypnos, hypnos which would mean what? Hi, kind of hypnotic. If I could say it in a pretty simple way, maybe you've kind of discovered this. Are there churches that seem like they are sleepwalking? 
I think there are. You know, we we had it in our family when my daughter was younger. She she had she had sleep. She would sleepwalk, and um, it was the craziest thing because she she would just get up from her bed and she'd just be walking down the hall, and pretty soon she's in the shower, and it's three o'clock in the morning. And I'd get up and I'd be like, "Man, what's going on?" So I'd go knock on the door and I'd say, "Faith, what's going on here?" And she's, "I'm getting ready for school." I'd be like, "That's great, but it's three o'clock in the morning." <laughs> but it was hard to it was hard to even get through to her. She had to kind of settle down, and then we could get her go back to her room. A lot of churches, I think, are like that. They're like just kind of sleepwalking. In other words, going through motions. Hey, this is what we do. We do the same thing each week. There's no stopping and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know what time it is? What, what do you mean what time is it? Is it time for coffee? Is it time for, for church? What, what, what do you mean time? No, no, it's time. There's people that are losing their, their souls uh, for eternity, and are, are we aware of that? We're living right now in a time where if we cannot see that as the church, something is very desperately wrong. When you're living in a time where more people have now died through, through this virus than died in, in what, World War II? Is that right? I think that's right. You, you as a church, there should be nothing that says to you, oh, hey, you know, I, when, when I hear people, I hope things get back to normal, my first response is, I hope not. I pray to God not. Because for so many places, normal is what? Hypnos, sleepwalk. Same stuff, just kind of go through the motions. What I hope is that the church comes out of what's going on around us with a new sense of what time it is. This is, this is a time to wake up from sleep, to, to really go back to the basics, to ask yourself questions. How are we doing at equipping men to be husbands? How are we doing at equipping marriages to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ? How are we doing at building up young people, young kids that understand, yeah, I'm in the world. I go to this high school, I go to this, this grade school, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm gonna live differently. How do, you, how do we get very strongly committed to that because the battle is, is on in a big way uh, right now. So I just appreciate Paul's, Paul's words. He's saying, let's, let's get ourselves focused on the battle at hand. By the way, I was just gonna make note of this. Um, I'm really proud yesterday uh, was our kind of our outreach into uh, two, two of the mobile home parks that are part of our, our outreach here. And I always think about this when it, when it comes to people who don't know who Jesus Christ is. Um, when you get out into just the, the, the public uh, and you're able to serve, uh, Elia was leading the way yesterday, Miroslava Howe, if you know Miroslava, was beside her. Uh, Don, I think you were there helping, helping uh, lead the charge. They put together kind of, I'll just call it their own version of a nativity, right? Live, live animals that the kids could go and look at. But you're there saying to this community, you matter to us. And um, is, I'm just struck by, over the years, uh, how, how many kids from that mobile home park will, will get older and older and say, you're the ones that gave us a Bible. You're the one that told me that story about Jesus. You're the one, because for a lot of them, this is where they're starting to just hear these stories of the Bible. Well, that's, that's part of what Paul is pointing to is, church, do we know what hour it is? We're living in a city where so many don't really know the stories of the Bible. And uh, that's, that's our calling is to, take, uh, is to take that out 
uh, into uh, our community. Go to verse number 12. He says, the night is far gone. In other words, the days of living for ourselves is far gone. The day is at hand. The day is at hand. Whenever the Bible talks about the day, stop for a minute, pull back and ask yourself, what day? Because it's using it generically to point to the day of the resurrection. So it doesn't translate it that way. That's exactly Paul's intent here. So kind of put it together. The night is far gone. The time for living for yourself is gone. Stop living for yourself. The day of resurrection is at hand. In other words, he feels it. He feels like, you know, it could be tomorrow. What if it's the day after tomorrow? We better, we better be ready for that. Let's, let's not be found um, uh, idle. Uh, so, so how then does that impact us in the church? So his answer is this. So then let us cast off uh, the works of darkness um, and put on the armor of light. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on uh, the armor of light. Does that remind you of, of some of Paul's words when he talks about putting on the armor of light? Kind of remind you of some other words Paul writes. Um, I've always found these words to be helpful um, in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God, right? And he says it this way, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil will try to disrupt the mission of the church. He says our, our wrestling match is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers. Now think about that just in the context of our own time right now. Our battle is against rulers and authorities. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about Paul's injunction to the church to make sure that we are submitting to those who have authority. But guess what? Our battle is also against those who have authority. So in other words, always be sharp because guess what? Our world is about itself. And who is it that gives gives the directions, the cosmic powers. And so you, you kind of pick that up here uh, in, in, in chapter 13 of Romans. Cast off works of dark, darkness, put on uh, this armor of light, put on the, the gospel armor uh, of, of, Jesus, of Jesus Christ. I made a note to myself, by the way, uh, it's easy on one hand for me to say to you, cast off the works of darkness. I think it's hard to do. I think it's really hard to live out. Um, how many of you are familiar with a book? Kara Powell wrote this book a number of years ago called Sticky Faith. How many of you are familiar with this book? Sticky Faith, Kara Powell's um, book. If you've never seen it before or looked at it before, particularly if you're uh, a parent or a grandparent, I really... I would really point you that direction because here's what Kara says, that we talk a lot in the church about how do we help our kids and our grandkids get a kind of a faith that looks like this, that's, that's casting off the sticky stuff Satan wants to put on us, but putting on the sticky faith of God. And her theory is that uh, as, a, as families, you can take some steps towards intentionally involving 
people outside of your, your immediate family in the lives of your kids in a way that really helps them walk through this world and lets, lets faith be something that's got some stickiness to it. So she really advocates for really taking a very intentional approach, particularly as moms and dads, in engaging other adults that you would see as people who could help, <clears throat> help your kids, uh, or in my case, grandkids, stick with the faith that they, that they have. Um, so if, you, if you've never seen it before, I, I recommend that book all the time. It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's got a little bit of age to it, but it's, it's exactly what Paul is talking about here. To put on the armor of light is to put on sticky faith, faith that's going to stay with you uh, in the battle. Verse 13, he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Walk in the light. Walk under the truth of God. And then he begins to name some of the things that were part of Roman culture that really people that um, the church is reaching out to are stuck in. And he's, he's basically saying, don't, as you're reaching out to the, to the world, don't yourself get stuck in them. And he, he begins to name them orgies. I never really knew what an orgy was when I was a kid, I don't think. <clears throat> we went to um, one of my favorite restaurants in San Antonio. It's called the Magic Time Machine. They dress up in costume, all the waiters were. And they had this one thing on the menu called the Roman Orgy. And um, <clears throat> I didn't know what that was, but I remember looking at the menu and I'm like, I think we need to have an orgy. And my parents are like, oh my God, my, my child. Was, they're like, what are you talking about? I said, no, it's here, it's on the menu, you can have an orgy. And uh, so, they, so one day they decided, well, let's, let's have an orgy. And um, I remember all the waitresses and the waiters in this restaurant would come and they had like a, a big, huge plate they were all carrying. They're singing, Roman orgy, and they'd bring all this food. <clears throat> it was a lot of food. And I want, after I ate it, I wanted it every time. I'm like, man, we need to have that orgy. That's really good stuff. I asked, I asked my parents, what, what exactly is an orgy? Of course, that's, that's the moment your dad's like, you need to talk to your mom about that. Like, um, <clears throat> but in Rome, of course, you know, parties or orgies, they were not really that odd. And so you're going out into the world. Just be careful you yourself don't get sucked into that way of life that's about yourself, about filling up your own senses, where orgies or, or taking in um, alcohol, drunkenness, um, which would have applied primarily to the men of that, that time. Remember, women were not allowed to intake uh, alcohol. Um, not in sexual immorality. <clears throat> Again, in Rome, this is, this is rampant. Uh, not only places of prostitution, but temples of prostitution. Um, not in sensuality. Again, don't, don't live for yourself. Don't fill up your senses. Not in quarreling or, or jealousy. Um, so what Paul is doing, he's saying, we're, we are people called to live in this world, and it's full of all kinds of stuff, but walk in the light. And you'll only get there, you'll only do that as... God equips you to do that. Put, put this armor of light on and let God keep you 
keep you from it. Um, I'll just say this real simply, you know, when I think about our, our kids here at, at Peace and the role that um, we get to play in the lives of families, there is nothing about uh, going through high school in a normal year that's easy. Uh, our kids are faced with tremendous battles every single day. The, the idea of getting involved in this world, it's just normal. These are just normal things that we do. These are normal things that are part of life. Um, and, and, you know, and none of it's new. These are old schemes. The devil's schemes really don't change. A lot of them revolve around sexuality um, and alcohol, and our kids get, can get sucked into that. And so I, I really take it seriously. What does it mean as a church to really work with families and with kids in a way that we are a people of light? We're like, no, we're going to shine light on this. This is not a, a right thing or, or a, a good thing. And especially in this time right now, um, I would say, you know, we had another suicide here in our city this past week, um, actually two. And, um, you know, Jesse, he's singing today. I said to him this morning, you know, how, how are you doing, Jesse? Because uh, he's a teacher in one of our high schools, right? And he says, well, it's been a hard week. And uh, I asked, you know, Julie, how, how are you doing this week? Hard week. Uh, a lot of our kids, a lot of our kids entertain. They're not, we're not different. Entertain some of the, the thoughts that are going on in our world today. Um, Self-harm included. And I think, boy, um, we, we definitely are all in an all-out battle. And so <clears throat> putting on the armor of light does not, it's not just fancy language. It means how do I, as a, as a person, commit myself to a way of life that's different than the world? What am I doing right now? That this is, I'm going to commit myself to a different way of life. Um, if I say, if I say, Luke, um, every morning when you wake up, what's the first words you need to hear? Well, now my, my morning is really fun because I always turn my Joel Osteen cube on. <laughs> that guy, that guy is a hoot. God wants to rain down blessings upon you. I'm like, no, no, Joel, he does not. <laughs> but we always will have a devotion time and um, you know, start the day in a way that says, okay, God, get your word into me. In a week, how are you living? Are you connected to, to other Christians that are helping you walk through this world? <clears throat> because if you're not, then you're, you're in danger. And that's what Paul is saying. Danger for you personally, but also then the church loses its sense of missionality. Verse 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I'm going to have you look at something with me that I've always found to be um, really helpful language. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Just take a look over there. Make no provision for the flesh. Martin Luther would say that the three great enemies of the gospel are the world, the cosmos, Satan. But he names a third enemy. And that third enemy, remember what it is? Our own flesh. And Luther says the flesh will always pull you towards serving yourself. 
and take you away from the very thing that you were created for. Paul took this very seriously, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 24 to the end, he really speaks some words that have always stayed with me. He says, don't you know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? We're in a race. So run that you may obtain it. The prize is salvation. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. We, at the end of your race, you get a wreath. He says, but, but we run for something that is imperishable, namely the prize of salvation. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I'm not going to run like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen today. No. I do not box as one beating the air. I don't flail around. I know what I'm doing. I know what God's called me to. He says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And those are kind of the words of Paul saying, how do you live in a way that takes seriously the fact that my own body will try to deceive me, whether it's my mind uh, or just that sense of this is, this is what I want to do, this is how I want to live. Um, of course, Paul grew up in, in, a, um, um, in a time where as a, as a Pharisee, he would have actually put into practice uh, a literal beating of his body, right? Uh, we, we believe that. Self-flagation was a part of that period of time where you would take, you know, you'd take basically whips and smack yourself with them. And not often, not, not un, un often you, would, you would bleed and you would say, I'm just reminding myself that my body can't own me. I'm separate from my body. I'm, I'm a soul. And, and though my body belongs to God and I want it to, to live for God, I, I will discipline it. Paul would have gone would have that far. Now, I wouldn't say to you, hey, you know what you need to do? Go on Amazon and get yourself a whip and, uh, and beat yourself. No. But what I would say is, what he calls us to do here is think about how, how are you living in a disciplined way so that you're not just beating at the air. You, you have gifts God's called you to use. How are you intentionally going to use those gifts? And... Um, um, as far as your flesh is concerned, just acknowledge that it, it, has, it has its own life. It wants to pull you away from the very things that God wants you to be involved in. And um, so that sense of self-discipline, that sense of, of to live a disciplined Christian life is not something that we do under the law. We don't do it so that I can say, hey, God, look at me, look what I'm doing. No, but it's something under the gospel that you do in a way that says, I, I really intend to live out my life in a very disciplined way so that at the end of it, you can look back and say, all right, this gift of faith, how, how is it passed on in my family? How is it passed on in my extended family? How is it passed? Did it impact the neighbors around me? Did it impact the city that I'm, I'm a part of? Um, if, if we together, like today, said, let's, Let's create a plan for, for just this group of people, a plan. How are we going to change Grand Island in the aftermath of a virus that's taught us a lot about life and death? 
And we said, we're not, we don't want a thousand things. We just want like three things up here on this board. How will you change this city in the name of Jesus Christ? Because I hope we know, I hope all of us know, that at the, at the end of this thing and people wanting life to go back to normal, it cannot go back to normal. It cannot. Do, do we not recognize how many people, more and more than I've, I've, I've ever thought, don't have even a sense of who God is in their life? And so how, how will we do that? How will we make that difference? And if we had three things up here, and this is number one, two, three, these are the three things we're going to do, then I would say to you, how will you discipline yourself? How will we discipline ourselves so that we can actually accomplish those goals? Because we're not different. Paul's using an athletic analogy here, right? You, you don't say to a football team, hey, what, what is your goal? We're going we're gonna to run, throw, and, and kick field goals. Okay, how are you going to do that? Well, this is our plan. You discipline yourself to get there, right? That's what Paul's talking about. It's as a church, live in a way that thinks in a disciplined way as both individuals and corporately about how to carry out the mission that God has given to us. Ends chapter 13 there, uh, and, and what he's done is really painted a picture for this, this church, again, of what does it mean to live missionally. Um, chapter 14 kind of shifts gears just a little bit, stays with the same theme. So 13 has been... How do I equip the church to live missionally? Chapter 14 stays with that same thing, but it begins to look at it in a different way. Uh, Paul would say, as much as outward forces might corrupt the church, inward forces can destroy it. And so as you are going out into Rome and you're bringing people into the church that are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, I want you to think about what it means to stay focused on the primary and essential parts of the gospel. And I really, really love these words. We're not going to make it too far in this because there's an there's element of it that, that I think is worthy of discussion right away. Look at how it begins. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. That's what you're going out to do. When you bring someone into the church, are they automatically just strong in the faith? No, we don't expect that. Like, no, we're going to walk with you. We're going to give you opportunities to grow in your faith. We're going to be serious about doing that, right? Um, when I think about things like, I'll just use an example, every man of warrior. Every group that goes through every man of warrior. How do I reach the next group of people? Because there's more men out there, young men who don't, don't know the way of the Lord. How do we reach them? Let's, let's, let's treat that seriously, right? As an example, I'm bringing someone who's in who's weak in the faith. Welcome him. Now, here's the, here's the part I want you to catch. But not to quarrel over opinions. I want to, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Um, what is the difference between essential theological truths that guide a church and something that we call adiaphora. What is the difference between essential theological truths that guide a church and something that we call adiaphora? Are you familiar with the word adiaphora? Okay. 
Sounds like a car, doesn't it? Adi Afara. Here's what it means. Non-essential matters of faith that are not commanded in Scripture. Okay. So every church is, comes from a different, if I, if I can say this way, tribe. And inside of every church, there are tribes of people who have things that we do that we do because we've grown up in a particular tradition. Okay? So, when I say that a church has essential theological truths that make up its, its, its bedrock, its foundation, for a Lutheran church, what would those theological truths be? How, if I said to you, where, where can I find your essential, theological, unmovable, these are the stones and the rock, your foundation that you, you built on, where would I find those? Where do I go to find those? Say again. The Constitution. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> Some people might. Where do I go? This is not hard. Where do I go? Okay, Book of Concord, right? One of the things that makes the, the Lutheran Church maybe a little bit different than a, a non-confessional church is all of its ingredients are published. Our, our, our bedrock, foundational, essential, theological <coughs> stones, our foundation is published, right? If I get the Book of Concord out and I go through it, I'm gonna find things like the large catechism in it, the small catechism in it. I'm gonna find, I'm gonna find um, the um, uh, apology to the Osberg Confession, the Osberg Confession. These are bedrock documents that say, Here's what we believe, okay? Some churches, it's hard to find. Honest to, honest to goodness, it's hard to find some of those bedrock. I, I call up this church. I'm like, do you, what do you guys believe? Oh, well, we listed 12 things on our website. I'm like, so you believe only 12 things? No, but those are our essential things. I'm like, okay. Um, I, I like being part of a body that says we're going we're gonna to publish those. Okay, now. I read through that, that, that book of Concord and I go, okay, I, get, I understand this is, where you, this is what you built your house upon. Um, is everything that we do as Lutherans, is it contained in those bedrock, essential, theological writings? Everything we do. Well, no. Right? As a church, we say these are the things we believe. This is the way we do them. Now, tradition kind of comes into play here. And when we talk about adiaphora, what we're talking about are, are kind of traditional things that we come to do because that's how I grew up with it or this is the way I think it should be done. Um, and yet they're not commanded of God. What might be an example of something that a church does that fits that adiaphora category? What, what might be an example of that? The order of service, okay. Um, so, yeah, I think that's not a bad example. If I go, if I take the Bible out and I say, is there a specified order of service in the scriptures that I've got to follow? There's not. Is there a place that God says, when you worship, this is how I want you to do it? No. In fact, I would argue that if you and I were to attend an apostolic church, one like Paul builds here, all of us would be like, well, what is this? 
This is this this just doesn't feel right, right? Because uh, they're house churches essentially. So order of service. Do we do we have different tastes when it comes to what we do in worship? We do have different tastes, right? Um, some people might say, well, I kind of like. I think that music should come from from an organ, or I think that songs should come out of a hymn book, or I think that. Um, all of that, all that's not bad. Another person goes, no, no, I think the song should be more contemporary. And I think that that's audiophora. And what, what Paul is saying is, when, when you look at what's going on, as you're bringing people from the outside into church, stay focused on those bedrock, essential, theological, apostolic truths that make the church the church. But don't bring someone in new, and engage them in quarrels right away over, guess what? Adiaphora, things that do not, they're not commanded in the scripture. Don't, don't do that. Um, it would be the equivalent of somebody joined here and, and you had two people saying to them, oh, you're not going to like that. That early service is bad. That's for old people. You need to come down over here to this new service because it's live. Or oppositely, somebody down there says, you need to, you need to come. No, that, you don't do that to new people coming in. Right? You're now confusing things that we have freedom over with things that are, are commanded of God. And Paul knows that probably the greatest danger to the church as he's forming this church in Rome is actually not from the inside, but it, or outside. It actually is from the inside. People are going to get focused on things that are non-essential. And they're going to have battles over them. And as they have battles over them, it becomes destructive to the church and it takes you away from right, the mission that God has given to you. Here, he starts to name some of those that were going on in the, in the church in Rome. He says, one person believes he may eat anything. Now, I would like to propose that we take the next part of this verse, inscribe it on a, like a plaque, and put it over a good Nebraska butcher shop. Because here's what it says. While the weak person eats only vegetables. I wish I knew that verse when I was a kid. My mom was always trying to make me eat vegetables. Luke, you need to eat this stuff right here. The people in China, they don't have any food on their plates and you're, gonna, you're wasting that food. I'd be like, only weak people eat vegetables. It's right here in the Bible. <laughs> Well, why does it say that? What, what was going on? And, and you, you can kind of guess what's, what's going on behind that is you have a group of people who might say it this way. Adam and Eve were what? Veg, vegetarians. And God initially designed us to be vegetarians. And so we believe that we need to eat vegetables and that meat actually, you should not eat meat because meat doesn't come until after, after sin and... Uh, we don't believe you should do that. We think actually it, it's a violation of the body. So you have people that are getting into that kind of conversation with people saying, no, if, if you want to be strong, you eat vegetables because that's the way God designed us to be and you don't, don't eat meat. And all of a sudden you're taking a freedom. God didn't say you got to eat vegetables and you're turning it into a law and you're putting that law on top of people and it's actually doing harm inside of the church body. Verse 3 says, let not one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him, right? 
Um, and, and the term that's used here is pretty strong. Don't, do not, um, the, the verb is kratao, don't judge another person over a matter that we have freedom in. Do not judge them over that. Uh, allow for that freedom. Verse 4 says, who, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? You're talking about a servant of the Lord. And they want to serve the Lord. And now you're judging them because they don't want to eat a vegetable. And I'll tell you what, you're going to destroy the church doing that. So, so he says, is it before his own master that he stands or falls? And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. That person is as much a part of the house of God and a servant of God as the person who's eating vegetables, right? Um, verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. What was going on there? What are they talking about there? One observes one day, another observes another day. Was there a little battle going on in the church? Remember the Jews, when did they observe the Lord's day? Saturday, Saturday Sabbath. Okay. When, when does Sunday become more prominent? Okay. So post-resurrection, right? Is it, or is it arbitrary? Actually, yeah. Well, why Sunday? Well, because it's Resurrection Day. So if you think about it, every Sunday is a re-celebration of the resurrection, right? But does it, must it be Sunday? No. It's a freedom. And so, um, you know, when, when, when our kids were growing up in Lincoln, we, we had a whole church body there that would shut down on Saturday nights. And they would tell you, if you went to church on a Sunday, you're violating the Sabbath. You know what? This is... Uh, uh, you're, you're actually sinning against God by going to church on a Sunday. It's got to be on a Saturday. And what, what Paul's saying is, yeah, again, internally for the church to be strong, we can't have fights over non-essentials. It doesn't matter which day of the week it is. Whichever day it is, be convinced in your mind and observe it in honor of the Lord. And he kind of closes it out by saying, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live to ourselves and none of us die to himself. It isn't about you. I mean, this is really a hard thing to say. But this is when it comes to, to uh, uh, freedoms, there's a, the bottom line of it is it's not about me. I, I want to say that to myself over and over again. Luke, it's not about you. I have an opinion about, like you do too, about various things. If it's a non-essential, it's not about me. Pastor, where do you want this? It doesn't matter to me. How, how do, where, where do people want it? It's a non-essential. Um, so don't get wrapped up in battles over non-essentials. For if we live to the Lord, and if we die to the Lord, uh, we, we, we give ourselves completely over to him. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Don't let internal battles ensue and take the, the church off course. 
And I've got to, I'm just going to close by saying this. Um, in my years of ministry, man, I can't even begin to, to count the number of times where the greatest battles in the church have been over non-essentials. They really have been. Um, not essentials that are turned into essentials. And I think, oh my goodness, you have to be careful to, to just stay focused. These are the bedrocks. Those you don't change. These are freedoms. Try to come together on them. If you disagree, disagree in a way that allows the church to maintain its unity because that's, that's, what's, that's what's important. Um, can I close with this last thought? Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed over the last six months has been a, a disunifying thing inside of the church has been uh, something as simple as a mask. It just uh, has amazed me. And I think, you know what, we all, we all have things that we're trying to think about. One person says, this mask does no good. This person says, no, you got to wear it. And in the end, we've tried to create some space that respects everybody, right? Here's space for people. We've tried to respect the government. Here's what they've told us to do. We'll do that. But the bottom line is, what we've always tried to do, I mean, from the very beginning on, I've tried to say this, is I do not ever want a mask to separate me. I'm speaking as Luke right now, from a relationship with another human being. That's a part of God's church. It's not going to let it happen. And uh, I, I hope we all uh, agree to that. In some senses, masks are, and in some senses, right now, they are not. Adiaphora. Let's close on that note. Lord, as we uh, close, we just ask your blessing as we get ready to go into um, just the, the, whole of, the whole of the celebration of Christmas. We need it this year. Uh, Lord, we don't need the, the Christmas of culture. We really don't. What we do need, Lord, is the celebration of your incarnation, of what it means to know that you are present and with us, and to be that body that you've called to take the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the incarnation, into the lives of people who may not even know you right now. Lord God, protect us from those things outside and inside the church. <coughs> that would knock us off that mission, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I think next week we are not meeting. Uh, obviously, Christmas we're not. And then the week after Christmas, I think we take off in here, and then we're backing at it. So God's blessings to you. And uh, Fritz, did I make it further than you thought I would?